Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, first of all, I want to thank the eldership for giving me the opportunity to stand before you this morning and bring uh, God's word. I also want to thank those that took time to pray for me as I prepared. I thank you most sincerely. May the Lord greatly bless you. Before we commence, I ask that we pray, shall we? Our gracious God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning, this day, the day of Easter when we remember that glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we remember that death could not hold him, but he rose up again. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that as we think of this pinnacle of the Christian faith, the Lord, you may help us even as we reflect on your word. I pray, Lord, that as I speak to your people, I'm aware that I am a man of sin, a man of unclean lips, and therefore, Lord, I pray that you be with me, unction me from on high, and that, Lord, my sin may not be a hindrance even to the preaching of your word. I pray that you also bless the listeners and help all of us to be attentive to your word, and that, Lord, as your word is preached, do help us, O oh God, that it may accomplish its purpose. We pray that you commence our time together and end with us, for we pray in our Savior's name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, our passage this morning is coming from the book of Matthew, chapter 28. But instead of just reading Matthew, chapter 28, we are going to look at two passages of Scripture. Matthew 28, which is my main passage of the sermon, and then also read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll read verses 1 to 7, and then we'll jump from 12 to 21. So let's commence reading Matthew 28. If you are there, I commence reading. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear ye not, for I know you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy 
and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell the, his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hell. And they came and held, held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go, tell my brethren that they, that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. Then we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verses 1 to 7, then 12 to 21. 1 Corinthians 15, this is the Apostle Paul trying to basically put a point on the importance of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again, and the third day according to the, tomb, to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present day, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then all the apostles. We jump to verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ not be risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we have found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be it that the dead rise not from the dead. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by one man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Ends our Bible readings. So our passage of scripture is Matthew chapter 28. And in addressing this passage, I've titled my sermon, The Proof and Implications of Christ's Resurrection. The Proof and Implications of Christ's Resurrection. And in addressing this passage in Matthew 28, what I want to do this morning is basically to present to you the consequences as argued by Paul of denying the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Once we do that, then this will act as a foundation to help us understand why God had to go to such an extent to prove that indeed the Lord Jesus Christ is risen. 
to prove that the resurrection of the Lord is indeed not a myth. And in applying this passage of scripture to Matthew, we'll then look at what are the implications of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, both for the believer and for the non-believer. And then I'll conclude my sermon. Now, we've read in Matthew 28 that in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, we are told that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb, or in other versions, the Bible says they came to the grave. Now, the message of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ has been recorded in all the four Gospels. And each Gospel has a particular description of what transpired at the resurrection. In Mark chapter 16, verse 1, Mark describes the other Mary as Mary, the mother of James, including Salome, who was the wife of Zebedee who went to the tomb after the Sabbath. So these are the women who rushed to the tomb. Now these two Marys, we are told, had also been present on Friday at Jesus' burial. Mark and Luke also both note that they were bringing spices in order that they may anoint the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now as we look at their behavior and their attitude, we see that they were going to the tomb as an act of devotion and love to the Lord Jesus Christ. But it also demonstrated their unbelief in the message that he had already given to them that after three days I will rise up from the dead. They still didn't believe because on the day when the Lord Jesus Christ rose up, they went to the tomb with a view to go and apply spices on the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The angel will later remind them that Jesus had told them while they were still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered unto the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day he will rise again. So in marrying the two passages of scripture, it is clear that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely critical to the validity of the Christian faith. That is why the Apostle Paul labors in trying to defend the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed risen. And he basically gives us specific consequences of denying the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, if there is no resurrection, then such conclusion would simply mean that the Corinthians, as well as ourselves, are hopeless and in despair. We have no hope. Because it simply means we have re believed in a message that is false. And firstly, he goes on to say, if the Lord Jesus Christ had promised that he would rise from the dead on the third day, and if he had not risen, then it simply means that he was an imposter. He was basically lying. His message is fake. And it simply means that there is no salvation for all of us. And obviously, he goes on to argue that the apostolic message of the resurrection would have been false because then they would have testified to something that is not true. So those are some of the consequences. 
And then he goes on to say, if Jesus has not risen as he said, it simply means that there would be no forgiveness of sins. It means you and I will still be dead in our sins. And for those of our brethren who have died in Christ, he says their case would be absolutely hopeless as well. But the Apostle Paul goes on to announce in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that indeed Christ is risen. And in stressing his point, he refers us to the fact that in the same way that death came through one man, salvation also came through one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, upon all men. So that is the argument that the Apostle Paul gives in the defense and proof of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And from the above then we can see that why God had to validate the undeniably fact, undeniable fact of the resurrection beyond human comprehension is because the resurrection is key to our faith. And therefore God had to show signs and wonders and proof to ensure that no one is in doubt that indeed the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And as we look at the discourse of Matthew, I want to look at my sermon based on uh, four points. The first point being that the death no longer has dominion over the believer as being an implication. What are the implications of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Death no longer has dominion for the believer. And then secondly, I also want to look at the fact that the resurrection will bring terror and judgment for non-believers. Thirdly, I will look at the fact that the resurrection brings comfort in this world and hope for eternal life for the believers. And then finally, I will look at the fact that the resurrection is indeed not a myth because evidence is there to this day. And then I'll conclude. So the passage that we are looking at this morning, as I said earlier, the principal subject matter in the verses of Matthew chapter 28 is basically the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. It is one of those truths that lie at the very foundation of the Christian faith and therefore has received very special attention in the four Gospels. All of them describe minutely how our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. We look at uh, the book of Mark. He describes the resurrection when the women went to the tomb. He does not describe it the way Matthew describes, where there's an earthquake and the angel of the Lord rolls back the stone and sitting upon it. Mark describes it in a way that when they went to the tomb, they, will find, they find that the tomb is open. The grave is open and they went in and then they meet two men who says to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? So each gospel describes the, uh, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore it must not surprise us that so much importance is attached to the Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection because it is a seal and cornerstone of the great work of redemption which he came to do. 
It is the crowning proof that he had paid the debt which he undertook to pay on our behalf. And he had won the battle and delivered us from hell. Now, the question we may also ask ourselves, what would have happened if the Lord Jesus Christ had not come forth from the grave? The answer is, how could we have been sure? I mean, the question would be, how could we have been sure that our ransom has been paid fully? Had he never risen from the dead, how could we have felt confident that he has overcome death and him that had the power of death, who is the devil? How could we have been confident if Christ never rose from the dead? Therefore, the Apostle Paul says, Thanks be unto God who has not left us in doubt. The Lord Jesus Christ has risen and God himself has provided proof to that effect. And therefore, true Christians are begotten again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And they may boldly say together with Paul, who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that he is risen again. Therefore, we have reason to be very thankful that this wonderful truth of our faith is so clearly and fully proved. It is so striking that of all the facts of the Lord's earthly ministry, none of them has been undeniably established as the fact that Christ rose from the dead. The wisdom of God knows the unbelief of human nature, and obviously God had to provide evidence beyond human nature. We are told in the scriptures, if we read Mark, uh, we read Luke chapter 24 and verse 11, the Bible says, when the women went back to tell the disciples of what had happened, this is what the disciples say. The Bible says, and their words seemed to them as idle tales. Other versions says, when the women broke the news that indeed we went there and we have met an angel, he's risen. The very disciples that he had told that after three days I will rise again, some of them thought that message was just nonsense. They couldn't believe it. And therefore, God had to provide witnesses as well who witnessed the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to them as evidence to that proof. And never was there a fact which the friends of God were so slow to believe as the resurrection of Christ. Never was there a fact which the enemies of God were so anxious to approve to the extent that when we read Matthew 28 that we've re read from verse 11, we are told now, when they were going, behold, some of the of the watch came unto the city and showed unto the chief priests all these things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large sums of money to the soldiers, saying, you must say that his disciples came by night and stole his body while we slept. And yet, in spite of the unbelief of his friends and the enemies of God, the fact was thoroughly established. There's no doubt about it that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is surely true. Now, let us notice in uh, these verses that we've read that uh, 
the glory and majesty that the Lord Jesus Christ rises from the dead. We are told in verse 2 that, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. So an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came. He rolled back the stone. And therefore, we must therefore not think for a moment that the angel rolling back the stone perhaps could have meant that without the help of the angel, the Lord could not have come forth. No, that was done to ensure that the disciples had passage into the grave for them to see and prove that indeed the Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. For we need not doubt for a moment because Christ has risen from the dead. But in rising from the dead, God accompanies this with signs and wonders. And it seemed good to God that the earth should shake and a glorious angel appearing when the Son of God rose from the dead as a conqueror. So what are the implications of this resurrection of the dead? For the believers, the first implication is that death no longer has dominion over the believer. Death no longer has dominion over the believer. So we must not fail to see in the manner of our Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection, we see a type of pledge of the resurrection of his believing people. The fact that their master has risen from the dead, the fact that our master has risen from the dead, the grave could not hold him beyond the set time and it will no longer be able to hold believers beyond a certain time. When that come, time comes, when the trump of the Lord is sounded, those that have died in their graves, we are told in the scriptures that the dead in Christ shall rise first. So death no longer has dominion. That's why the Apostle Paul calls those that are die, have died in, in the Lord Jesus Christ has fallen asleep. They are just sleeping. And notice also th that a glorious angel was a witness of this rising of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we read Mark chapter 13, verse 24 to 27, Mark describes what will happen towards the end of the age. He says, during that glorious day of the Lord, the angels of the Lord shall be messengers that shall be sent forth to gather the believers when they shall rise again. So we see that the resurrection is key for the believer. Death has no dominion. In the same manner that Christ rose with a renewed body, glorified, and yet a body so real, true, and so also shall his people have a glorious body and will be like their master, will therefore be like him. So we have hope and we have, you know, joy that indeed death has no dominion over the believers. John, Apostle John in 1 John 3, 2 describes this and says, when we see him, we shall be like him. Therefore, as Christians, we must therefore take heart 
in this thought that even though in this world we may have trials and sorrows and persecution and are often persecutions being often a portion of God's people and that even in sickness, in weakness and in pain, even when we are hating and weary, but our good and glorious time is yet to come. That must be something that will bring joy and hope to us. We see that the women, when they were told that Christ is risen, we are told that they were filled with joy and fear. Verse 8 says, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Now, I don't know how to describe this feeling of fear and great joy. Whether someone is, you know, you are shaking, but then you are smiling, I don't know what this feeling is. So they had that fear, and yet they were joyful. So even in this world, let us be encouraged. We may go through difficult times. Our faith may be shaken, but we must hope in the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is risen. And when time comes, he will take us to be with him. And therefore, when we die, where we are buried and what kind of funeral we, we have does not matter. What matters is where you will spend eternity. Will you spend eternity in the bosom of our Lord Jesus Christ or in eternal hellfire? Therefore, for my non-Christian friend, please, I beg with you, don't come to church in the hope that, no, let me go to church so that I can have a decent burial. There are many people who come to church with a view that let me go to church so that vacancy can win. But then after you've been buried, then what else? You must realize that this resurrection that we are talking about, you are the very reason why he died. And you are the very reason why he rose up from the dead to deliver you from, from hellfire and from the wrath of God. Therefore, as we look at this passage, the great question that we should be asking ourselves is this. How shall we rise again when that time comes? Because resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ does not simply imply as being a part of those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. The scriptures describe that uh, those who have done good, in John 5, Verse 19, he says, those who have done good, they will rise up to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil, to the resurrection of judgment. And many people say, no, once I die, it is finished. It ends there. No, it does not end there. Because when the trumpet of the Lord will sound, we shall all rise. For those that will be dead, the dead in Christ will rise first. Those that had died in sin will also rise unto judgment. So the question is, where are you putting your faith? What is the foundation of your lifestyle? Is your foundation the Lord Jesus Christ? For the believers, let's be encouraged that the Lord Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. He has overcome death. And therefore, we have no cause to fear even as we walk through the fire. The Lord has promised that he will be with us. 
Now the implication for the, for the non-believer is that the resurrection will bring terror and judgment. So we see this from verse 4 where we see the description of what happened to the, to, 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 to the soldiers. And the Bible says, And fear of him and the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Now you can imagine just at the appearance of the angel, these men, these soldiers, well-trained soldiers, these were no ordinary soldiers, but they were like dead men. In short, they fainted just at the appearing of the angel. Then what would happen to the non-believer at the appearing of the very Lord that we are talking about? What would happen? Let us again see in this fact a type and example of things yet to come. What will you, my non-Christian friend, once again, you who are ungodly and wicked and do all sorts of evil things in this world, you who have put your trust in your job, in your relationship, in all other things apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, what will you do? on the last day when the trumpet of the Lord will sound? What will you do when you see the dead rise up from the dead, both great and small, coming forth from their graves? What are you going to do? And the angels of the Lord, God assembling his saints. What will be your response? Oh, what manner of fears and terrors who possess the souls of the non-believers, when they find that they can no longer avoid the God of the universe, the very God who has brought the message of salvation that you've been avoiding for a long time, the message is being preached, and yet again, and again, you've rejected it. But what will happen? Because you will never miss that appointment with him. You certainly have to face him face to face, as a judge, when he comes in his glory, he's not coming as a, a lamb that was slain. He's coming as a judge. So what will you do? How I pray that you may be wise and would consider your latter end. And how I pray that you would remember that there is a resurrection and a judgment and that there is also such a thing as the wrath of God as described in Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. So what will be the call to you, the unbelieving friend, is for you to repent and turn away from your sin. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul. The resurrection that we are talking about this day will then have meaning and assuring to you. However, for the believer, once again, the resurrection brings comfort in this world and hope of eternal life for those that are in him. So let's see in verse 5, the angel says, and then the angel answered and said unto the women, fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here. For his reason, as he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay, and quickly 
go and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. So notice the assuring, assurance that comes from the angel of the Lord to these women. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Now these words were spoken with a deep meaning. They were meant to cheer the hearts of the believers in every age in respect of the resurrection. They were intended to remind us that true Christians have no cause for alarm, even as we face difficult moments, even as we see the day of the Lord approaching. We have no cause for alarm. The psalmist therefore reminds us in Psalm 46, 1 to 3, he says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. So he describes this. And it's as if he was describing part of what will happen on the day of the Lord because the scriptures tells us heavenly bodies will shake and they will fall from the sky and the earth will be burned with fire. So the psalmist is encouraging us that for the believers there is no cause for alarm because you have put your faith in the risen Lord. You've put your faith in one who has conquered death. You've put your faith in one who is seated at the right hand of majesty and interceding for you and I. And all he calls us to do is to have comfort in this message. We are further reminded that on the great day of the Lord comes, the Lord shall appear in the clouds of heaven and the earth be burned. The graves shall give up the dead and in them the sea shall give up the dead that are in it. The judgment will be set and the books shall be opened. The angels shall sift the wheat from the chaff and divide between the good and the bad. So there is no running away for the non-believer because time will come when you shall be sorted out. And therefore, when you have time, when you have breath, you ought to remember that one day you will face a savior. But for the believer, there's no need for us to be afraid. That's why the angel reminds the, 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 the women, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know you are seeking him who was crucified. In essence, even when we face challenges of life, difficult moments of life, these same words echo in our minds. Don't be afraid. I know you are going through this difficult time. Don't be afraid. You save a risen Lord. So we can take comfort. And finally, we see that the resurrection is not a myth as my final implication. The resurrection is not a myth because evidence is there to this day. And we see this in verses 6 to 10 where the angel says, He is not here for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goes before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. 
And they departed quickly from the tomb and with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Oh, hell. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said unto them, Be not afraid. Go, tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall see him. they shall see me. So we see in these verses that the women received an angelic assurance. They received that assurance from the angel that there is indeed undeniable proof that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a myth. So the angel says, come, see where the Lord lay. Come and see. Prove for yourself. See for yourself that it's not a myth. He is indeed risen. That he has overcome death and he has gone ahead, as he told you. And that an empty tomb is here for you to see. See it with your very own eyes. See this evidence. That's why the angel says, come, see the place where the Lord lay. The angel then commissions the women to say, quickly go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And as they go, as they run with that fear and great joy, the Lord Jesus Christ as if in trying to provide further proof to these women that in, maybe just in case they doubt that perhaps the angel of the Lord was lying, the Lord himself appears to them on their way to show proof that indeed with the message that the, Lord had, the angel of the Lord had told them is clearly true. And they see him and they bow before him and worship him. So he therefore appears to them in, 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 in person. And we are told in the scriptures, when we read uh, the gospels, we see that these women were also at the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were there. They witnessed the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, the burial they witnessed, and they witnessed the rising of the Savior. And they were first to be privileged to be commissioned to give out the message to the disciples of the good tidings of the glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure in meeting them, the Lord Jesus Christ being all-knowing, being a sovereign Lord, being all-seeing, he had seen the amount of uh, uh, you know, fear that had engulfed the disciples. The scriptures describe that after the Lord is killed, is put in the tomb, they all scampered in all directions. They couldn't walk around as they walked with, they were with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord knows that the, his little folk, the flock is scattered. And then he says, go and tell my brethren. And therefore we see that there is something deeply touching in these simple words that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, gives to the uh, women. He says, go and tell my brethren so he's aware, as, as all-knowing God, that they deserve a thousand thoughts. He's still thinking about them. He still hasn't forgotten the message that he told them that you meet me after I'm risen in Galilee. So he reminds them. And he knew that even in their weak faith, their frail and erring state, they were still his brethren. He calls them brethren. He comforts them, just as Joseph did 
when his brothers came before him. And he says, I'm Joseph, your brother. So the Lord reminds them, go and tell my brothers. And as much as they had come short of their profession of faith, as we've seen where some of them had doubted when the women told them, say, this is just rubbish. It's impossible. But the Lord Jesus Christ sees, says, go and tell my brethren. And in as much as they had yielded to that fear and anxiety, they were still his brothers. And throughout this passage, we see that God builds a sure foundation for the faith of believers. In the last three days, the faith of the disciples had been shaken. They were having a hard time believing that Jesus' word would be fulfilled. And the very fact that these women went to the tomb with spices is testimony of that. Because them, they, all they wanted to, to do is to go and you know, anoint the, body of, the dead body of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had forgotten. They still couldn't believe that this man had said, after three days, I'll rise up. And therefore, they needed that comfort. Their faith has, had therefore gone through a crisis and they need comfort and assurance. So the angel comforts them and then the Lord Jesus Christ himself comforts the women and gives them this assurance. Now this assurance, brethren, was not simply meant for the children of Israel. It's an assurance that is true even for us today. It's an assurance that is there for all who repent of their sins and put their trust in this resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38 to 39, when Peter preaches the gospel and those that were hearing were cut to the heart, they asked, what shall we do? He says, repent and be baptized. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. And we are also included in this promise. And just like the disciples at that time, whose faith had been shaken, we equally go through many life hurdles. Many life hurdles and problems and challenges that shake our faith to the extent that we doubt if indeed what God had promised or has promised in his word is really true. Sometimes some of these hurdles could be the sickness of a loved one. Sometimes an answered prayer, you've been praying about something, but the more you pray, the more the situation gets worse. And your faith is challenged. And therefore you begin to ask, why Lord, where are you? So let's be comforted. We must take comfort that the Lord is with us. He says, I'll go before you. So he gives us strength and assurance of his presence. Of course, when we go through challenges of life, God has not promised to give us the answers to all our why questions. Because what we usually do when we go through challenges, the questions we ask is, why, Lord? Why me? Why have you allowed this? But God has not promised to give us all the answers. But one thing that is sure, he has promised us to be our comfort. He has promised us to be our assurance. He has promised us of his presence, that even as we walk through the fire, 
He shall be with us to give us strength. Yet he promises to walk with us even as we walk through the storms of life. So what then should be our response in view of all this for the believer and for the non-believer? What should be our response to the believers, for those that are in Christ? What should be our response when we see what the, 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 the angel says in verse 7, says, go quickly tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you in Galilee. And the Lord Jesus Christ further says, go tell my brethren in verse 10. So what is the response of the Christian to this? Our response as a body of Christ is to go out as quickly as these women did. When they were told Christ is risen, they ran with fear and great joy to go and tell about what had happened. And therefore, this message is still fresh to us. God is calling upon all of us as believers to go out there, share this message of the risen Savior, so that those that are not in him can come to know him. They can also be counted as part of God's children. And in going out, he says, I will go before you to find me in Galilee. And even as he assures the brethren, the believers, as he commissions the believers in Matthew 28 from 18, go ye therefore and share and make disciples of all nations, he says, I will be with you. I will go before you. In the same manner that he went before the disciples after he rose again, he still goes before us even as we go out there to preach the gospel. And therefore, he says, go quickly. So our response must be a quick one because this is an urgent call. It's an urgent call because the Lord is coming soon. We need to go and tell others that Christ is the only hope for salvation. It's a call for every Christian, not just for those that preach the word, not just for elders, not just for missionaries. It's for all the saints and is meant to be shared even in the most difficulty of life circumstances. These women in the midst of their fear and joy, they still went out and shared this message with the disciples. So that's the call for the believer. We ought to share this message of the resurrection of the Lord. So, what about the non-believer? What, what should be your response? Your response must be one of repentance and seeking the risen Christ. The angel says, I know you seek the risen Lord who, is, who was crucified. He's not here. So your response as a non-believer is to seek this risen Christ, this risen Savior who has taken away the sins of those that come to him. He's the only way to eternal life. And John reminds us in John 6, uh, 14 verse 6, he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So therefore, there is no other way. You've got no other way. 
but to repent and be baptized. He sets men free from their sin on account of his death and the resurrection that we remember him for in this day. And therefore, he's calling, he's calling on all that are not yet saved. And he's saying, don't ignore. Because the stakes are too high for you to ignore. So for those that do not know Christ, you are sitting here and listening to me right now. What rock are you going to stand on when the trumpet shall sound? When he comes in glory, be assured that that job, that relationship that you've put your trust in, that business, that marriage, and all that you've put your hope in, apart from Christ, is but sinking sand. You desperately need to put your hope and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, just as a diver puts his hope and faith in a parachute. Obviously, if you look at those that go for skydiving, there's no sane diver who go on Mount Everest and throw himself without a parachute, because that will be a death sentence. And therefore, for the non-believing friend, you do not ever attempt to ignore the call of God and putting your trust in his righteousness. You cannot trust yourself because it's a suicide mission. Otherwise, you will perish. But the Lord in his mercy, he came to seek and save the lost. And that's why he died, was buried, and he rose again to set you and die free from the dungeon of sin. Amen.